0: Good morning everyone. Um, I hope you're doing well this morning Um I would say it's good to be with you uh, but the truth is um, it's actually Friday night uh, and I'm in coronavirus isolation. Um, in fact we've not all been together for like over a year now uh, and so that is a slightly strange environment in which to bring a talk on community. Um, in fact I'm, I'm fascinated to see how attitudes towards things like virtual church might change Um, because before coronavirus it was probably either kind of something that seemed a bit cool and edgy um, or like faddish nonsense uh, depending on your context Uh, but now it's kind of been forced upon us Uh, and I wonder how many churches will just kind of continue to stream services because it feels normal now Um, and some people even maybe prefer it or maybe this whole world will just be so done with anything virtual that it'll actually be easier to get people along to a, like a real-life meeting instead of a Zoom call, and obviously a man can hope. Um, but the reality is that the cultural forces behind things like virtual church are far older uh, and more complex than internet streaming. Um, and I don't have time to trace those historical threads this morning. Um, but suffice it to say, we now live in what is arguably the most radically individualistic culture uh, ever to walk the face of the earth. Um, from as young as we're able to watch Disney movies, um, we are taught to um, find our, look inside of ourselves to kind of find our identity, uh, inside of ourselves to find purpose and meaning in life. You are the centre of your world, and your single greatest responsibility is to yourself, uh, to discover and express your truest self um, at all costs. And all else is secondary, uh, and all others are secondary. Now obviously I'm start, you know, stating this in stark terms um, and in truth we're a multicultural society and so this will vary a bit um, by your kind of particular cultural and ethnic background and class um, but I reckon it's the dominant worldview in, in the UK. Uh, our society is a fiercely individualistic one. And various technological advances that have come over the last century or so have kind of accelerated and enabled that trend. And so virtual church is a great example. Um, A little over 100 years ago, um, you would have been able to choose from any of the churches that you could walk to, pretty much. Um, Like like at Olympia, those were your people. Whereas now, I can watch a service uh, from anywhere I like. Um, and the only people I have to care about are the people on the stage Uh, and I could watch the music from one church and even flip to another uh, where I prefer the preaching better if I wanted to Um, and I could do that and watch it whatever time um, and place fits my busy schedule but even as technology and social media have made us more connected than we've ever been it actually seems we are still more lonely than we've ever been uh, in fact, we've had a minister for loneliness now for a couple of years because it's been recognised as a public health issue. Loneliness has been said to pose a greater risk to your health than obesity. Uh, loneliness, um, living alone, and poor social conditions are apparently about as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And we're also an increasingly anxious. Uh, Society Again, coronavirus aside, the numbers of people in the West with generalised anxiety and disorders and depression has been on the rise uh, for decades. And so how do we explain this? Well, obviously it's complicated, but um, I would be far from the first to suggest uh, that perhaps there's a link between Western loneliness, Western anxiety and Western individualism. In the US where kind of Western individualism is perhaps most strongly embodied, the numbers are even worse and we might you know we might feel like we know all about someone's life uh, by following them online but do we really feel like we know them? Um, we might share all sorts of things about our own lives on social media, but do we really feel known? Uh, we have more connections online than ever before, but they're also shallower and less secure than ever before. Um, You can erase an entire relationship on Facebook with just the click of a button. And then the friends we have in the real world are often geographically scattered. um, And so in at least one sense, distant. And we're we're told that the relationships that we do have, um, they should only last as long as they remain beneficial to us. And so I don't think it's crazy to suggest that... Um, our culture might have become a little bit dysfunctional when it comes to community. And and as most of us have been shaped to some extent by our culture, um, I don't think it's crazy to suggest that we might have become a little dysfunctional when it comes to community. Um, Because, you know, it's not that we don't want it. Everyone wants community of some kind. And, And the reality is we were made for community. We were made in the image of God, who is himself a community. Of love, there is love between the three persons of the Trinity, and we were created like him um, to participate in the love of God and extend it outwards towards others, and to truly know and be known by others, um, as we 've seen, we often struggle to find that, uh, particularly in the individualistic West. Uh, ultimately, this is um, you know, a human problem, not just a Western one, um, but sin does seem to bring destruction in particular ways, in particular cultures. Um, and so, in our culture, uh, we still have this longing for community, but we also tend to struggle with commitment. Compared to most of humanity, uh, we have an incredibly high expectation uh, for personal privacy. Uh, Our culture um, is deeply opposed to sacrificing any personal rights or freedom at all on behalf of anyone else. And and all of that stands in direct conflict with some of the things required for true community. As Christians, our culture means that we are predisposed to see church as a Sunday service. Um, And I mean service as in broadband provider service, like a service that is provided that we might financially contribute to in order to consume. Uh, We are capitalists, and and so as a rational actor on the spiritual free market, it makes perfect sense that uh, it's only right (laughs) that we take our business elsewhere if the service provided um, isn't to our liking. And we are deeply, deeply shaped Uh, by our culture's values and some of those values um, are frankly a million miles away from the culture in the time and place of Jesus and because of that culture gap when we read the New Testament and what it has to say about community we are at risk of not really seeing what's there like either missing it entirely or de-emphasizing or glossing over it because frankly we can't fathom it So I think the first thing we need to do is reckon um, with the truth. That the story of the Bible isn't about God saving me. Um, It's about God saving his people. Um, I feature in this story only as part of that group. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 10 says that God's plan was to bring everything together in Christ. To unite heaven and earth in him. And that means that we are reconciled to God... being brought together in christ that's how it works and so in christ we are one that's the spiritual reality and i think that's the second thing that we should acknowledge we are brothers and sisters in christ and so we are brothers and sisters in christ that's the reality it's not a goal it doesn't come from us, it's not something we produce, but something that God has already achieved in Christ that we get to participate in and enjoy. And then thirdly, um, and this is where we am going to spend the rest of our time this morning, I think we need to remember that we are disciples of Jesus. So this whole series is about learning from the life of Jesus. Um, so we should consider um, what the Gospels tell us. Because living life together was actually something that Jesus modelled and taught to his followers uh, right from the moment that they were called. And so uh, reading from Matthew 4, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now notice, Jesus didn't invite them uh, to a weekly meeting. He called them to follow him, like to, to literally follow him around, to be a part of this new little ragtag bunch of apprentices that he was gathering to follow him was to join his community of followers. Jesus chose to teach and train his disciples in community. You couldn't follow Jesus apart from this lot. Um, That wasn't an option. Jesus didn't offer a private personal discipleship program. Uh, If you wanted to learn from him, to learn to become like him, you did it in his community. And the biggest shock uh, to a first-century Jew hearing this account um, of how Jesus called his disciples would probably not be that they, that they left their fishing careers and boats, um, but rather that they left their community. Your family, your extended household and your place in the local community was the most important thing about you, and so to leave it was a massive big deal. And Jesus doesn't shy away from this. And in Luke 14, 26, he says... If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Of course, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here, um, intentionally using a strong word for effect. And Elsewhere, he teaches about honouring your parents. So what he's saying here is that you you can't become his disciple at the same time as clinging to your own um, life. And in the cultural context of the day, the most insignificant thing about you, the most central part of your life, was your family. And and so here's why I bring this up. It, It wasn't that Jesus didn't think anyone should have a family or that community wasn't important. It was that to follow Jesus was to leave your own family and join his family, his community of disciples. At the end of Matthew 12... Uh, Jesus is teaching in a house and the picture that's kind of painted is that he's inside with his closest disciples um, but there's a big g- crowd of others uh, gathered around kind of listening in from outside the house um, and in verse 46 it says while he was still speaking to the people behold his mother and his brothers uh, stood outside asking to speak to him uh, but he replied to the man who told him who is my mother who are my brothers and stretching out his hands towards his disciples he said Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus calls his disciples his family over and above his biological family. And now remember, family in Jesus' day was the most important thing about you. It was the centre of your whole identity. It's where your closest relationships were, where you were most fully known, the best and worst of you. Uh, Multiple generations often lived together um, along with others. Everyone would have contributed to the functioning of the household. Everyone relied on others to get by. This is what would have come to people's minds when Jesus used the word family. Um, and it's pretty intense, right? And I think we have to say, you know, ask ourselves the question, are we okay with Jesus saying this? Yeah, like we might be okay with saying church should be like a family. Um, it's another thing to claim that church is our truest family. Do we really believe that the blood of the cross is thicker than the blood of biology? But Jesus was also doing a new thing. Um, This new spiritual family he was forming had radical values all of its own. Uh, One in particular, um, which we can read about starting in John 13. Um, So shortly after washing his disciples' feet as an example for them to follow, um, and then teaching them to take communion together, he teaches them this. A new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another just as i have loved you you are also to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so we should love each other just as he loved us And now this isn't just, you know, any kind of love. This is, uh, the Greek word that's used here is agape, which is the self-giving, serving, unconditional love that characterises Jesus. Just as he loved us, he commands us to love one another. And by this, people will know that we are his disciples. So notice that in this verse, disciples don't get recognised individually. Disciples get recognised as a group. Because it's the love that they have for one another that marks them out. And so we are to love each other just as he loved us. This is Jesus' command. And so community is obedience. Um, and if loving each other just as Jesus loved us sounds like an impossible task, then you're right, um, humanly speaking, um, like I know me. <laughs> and it is unfathomable that Jesus loves me like he does. But God knows um, and Jesus knew. And so in the very next chapter, he promises them that the Holy Spirit will come to to give them the very supernatural power required for them to keep his command to love. And then the chapter after that, he reassures them again that he is the vine and that they are the branches. So we can't produce fruit by ourselves. We can only depend on the vine. The fruit of love for others only comes as we trust and depend on Jesus and remain in his love for us. And then later that same evening, Jesus prays for his followers. And, and that, you know, explicitly includes us in that. And, and he asks his father that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Then I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Did you hear that? Jesus prays that his disciples would be as one, just as he and the Father were one, so that the world may believe that God sent him. And he repeats himself, that we would become perfectly one, so that the world would know God sent him, and that he loves us. Christian community isn't just how we get recognised as disciples. In this prayer, it seems Jesus believed that the Christian community would cause people to recognise him as divine. If we were one, if we became perfectly one, the world would believe God sent him. The world would believe that God the Father loved his son Jesus and then sent him to save the broken world that he loved. True Christian community is a revelation of the truth to a watching world. Jesus believed that there would be something about how his people loved one another, how his people were united together around and in him that the world would look at us and say wow this community is like nothing else on earth whatever it is that binds this community together must surely come from God and what binds this community together is of course Jesus Christ and I long that people would come to know him as they see him revealed in our love for one another Jubilee Church he is the source foundation center substance and goal of our community life it is all about him and for him and to him amen and so next week we'll be looking a bit more practically about what true christian community might look like and what might it look like for us to live as the family of jesus in our context but even before next week um, let's spend some time thinking and praying about this Um, We've had a year now where many of the things and ways that we might kind of do community um, have become illegal. (laughs) Um, But in the end, uh, but the end seems to be coming now. You know, the sun is coming up. And so I'd love it if we took this opportunity as a church um, to take stock of our lives in the light of Scripture and to invite the spirit to come and stir us. Not just with the desire to kind of get back to how things were, but with the desire to take practical steps forwards of obedience to Jesus as he forms and shapes us into the kind of community that glorifies Christ. I love you all. Um, I will be praying for you um, and I will see you next week.